This is a Cross and Crown Church production. For other resources, please visit crosscrownchurch.com. Book title, The Kingdom Driven Life. Author, Sunday at Elijah. Published by Cornerstone Publishing. Copyright 2015. Narrated by Jason Garwood. Chapter 8. The Pursuit of the Kingdom. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me. Luke twenty-two twenty-nine. Every generation must reclaim their generation for God. There is truth to the old saying that God has no grandchildren. Personal commitment to the principles of the kingdom must take preeminence in the lives of every believer who wants to see his or her generation come to know God. It is the responsibility of each new generation to restore the authority of God in government, in business, in education, in entertainment, in every sphere of life of their nation. Throughout church history, you can point to men and women of God who took responsibility to compel their nations to adopt the values and lifestyle of the kingdom in their nations. The generation of Jonathan Edwards, George Finney, and other godly heroes of the American church were responsible for mighty revivals, great harvests of souls, restoring the authority of God to their generation. Ole Roberts, T.L. Osborne, and others distributed the healing power of God on America and in other nations in the last generation. The reason America has been known as a Christian nation is because of these great people, ministries, and powerful revivals that impacted the culture and influenced society as a whole. America was established on Judeo-Christian values that are embedded in the Constitution and still guide the laws of the land. Their core values are based on honesty, integrity, and civil liberties. Even though liberal lawmakers and judges have seriously eroded these values more recently, the blessing of God is still evident on the land. The whole world wants to run to America to live there because of the prosperity it has achieved through kingdom principles that ensure liberty and justice for all. In this current generation, however, the church is not prospering in its mandate to extend kingdom principles throughout the culture, as statistics we mentioned previously show. It is our responsibility as believers to compel the adoption of the virtues and principles of the kingdom, creating respect throughout the earth for the church. We must demonstrate the love of God in our spheres of influence, our promised land, so that people will want to come back to God to find the fulfillment and satisfaction they see in us. A Minneapolis-based search institute directed a survey towards religious interests of American youth. The first question was, what does it mean to be spiritual? There were nine choices running from believing in God to being true to one's inner self. They also could say that there is no spiritual dimension and there was an I don't know option. A positive result of the survey, which involved 6,853 participants, is that 93% of the young people surveyed believe that there is a spiritual aspect to life. And 55% of young people ages 12 to 25 say they are more spiritual now than two years ago. But nearly one-third of the young people said they don't trust organized religion. They equate being spiritual with a sense of harmony, and religion is equated more with dogma. The disconnect between spirituality and religion was clear in the comments from a young man named Ian, who says he is highly spiritual, but not at all religious. 
In this context, spirituality is a vague realization of relating to a supernatural cosmos, universe, or a moral standard. Religion is the product of organizations called churches. This survey is one more that reveals the lack of effectiveness the church today is having on our society. When the authority of the church has been lifted up and made visible, the nations will come to the church, as the prophet declared. The church will have answers for the problems of society that no psychiatrist or business commission will have. The church will demonstrate real kingdom values in the middle of economic downturn. It is the church that must teach the ways of God to proclaim the law out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. For that to happen, believers in every sphere of life must be seeking God and taking His presence into society so that the people will follow them to the source of life, to God Himself. Faulty Motivation of Believers Have you paid attention to why people go to church today? It is for miracles or to seek prosperity. Because of a faulty, compromised gospel that is preached widely today, people are being taught to go to church for what they can get from God. No longer do Christians gather primarily to worship God or to be equipped to be effective in bringing in the harvest. They go for egocentric reasons to get their needs met. They are not going to church to learn to compel the adoption of His principles and compel their promised land to the Lordship of Christ. Instead, believers are exploiting God, worshiping themselves, and wanting what they can get from God. When ego motivates them to go to church, this makes them idol worshipers. They are not bowing to worship statues or even the stars or sun. They are idolizing themselves. If you are motivated to serve God for what you can get from Him, then you become the object of worship. When you engage in a religious form of singing, praising, and praying, but your motivation is to get what you want, you are really bowing before the idol of self. People confuse religion with true worship. The seeker-friendly approach to religion that we discussed earlier can be egocentric. True worship is God-centered. In God-centered worship, it is the will of God that becomes the passion of the believer, no matter the personal sacrifice that may be required to realize it. The end-time church that the prophet Micah foretold will be a worshiper of God alone, and it will become so influential that nations will come to learn the ways of God, His principles, and to walk in His paths. Micah 4.2 That will require an amazing transformation of the church as we know it today. The Last Christian Generation Josh McDowell, prolific author and international traveling representative for Campus Crusade for Christ, is renowned for his love for the youth of America and his untiring efforts to strengthen their faith. In his book, The Last Christian Generation, Reverend McDowell cites dire predictions regarding the Christian youth of America. Various denominational leaders have confessed to him that between 69 and 94 percent of their young people are leaving the traditional church after high school, and very few are returning. For a large majority of youth raised in church, it is obvious that the church has become irrelevant to their goals and pursuits in life. A groundbreaking study by George Barna, founder of the Barna Group, a renowned research and resource firm, divided professed born-again Christian youth into two categories. One, 
those who believe in Christ, but their lives don't reflect Christ's likeness, and two, those who believe in Christ and live a Christ-like life. His research showed that 98% of professed born-again young people do believe in Christ, but they do not reflect Christ-like attitudes or actions. They have not been motivated to embrace the kingdom values, principles, and lifestyle. They do not understand their destiny to be light and salt on the earth. In a New York Times interview, Ron Luce, founder of Teen Mania, cited the fact that only 4% of teenagers will be Bible-believing Christians as adults if the current trends continue. That would be a sharp decline compared with 35% of the current generation of baby boomers, and before that, 65% of the World War II generation. The world is watching to see what the church has to offer to this troubled society. Does it offer answers for the complexities of 21st century problems? The truth is that the Church of Jesus Christ has the only answers that work to dispel fear, anger, hatred, broken relationships, and every ill of society. The fact is that the Church is not fulfilling its role to establish the kingdom of God throughout the earth. Why has the American Church failed to establish its youth in the truths of the Bible? in the principles of Christian living, in pursuing the destiny and lifestyle of the kingdom. This is because it has not understood and preached the gospel of the kingdom. It has failed to challenge them to surrender their lives to discover their God-given purpose for living. Earlier I explained that Jesus taught his followers to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Matthew 6.33 How many believers today interpret that to mean attending church as often as possible, giving offerings, working in church programs, and becoming a good Christian. This type of gospel cripples believers, limiting their pursuit of God to within the four walls of the church. I am not minimizing the importance of being committed to gathering for worship and teaching. Let me reiterate that every believer must be accountable to and functioning with each other in a local gathering of believers as the scriptures teach. But increasing church membership is not the ultimate goal of Christians. Gathering together helps us to grow in grace and be equipped to extend the kingdom throughout the earth. The failure of the church is a result of not equipping believers with the mindset, the faith, and the tools to extend the kingdom of God throughout the earth. The love of God, which is the nature of the kingdom, must mature within you and make you a God-carrier of His kingdom principles and power in your everyday life. The evidence that this is happening will be seen in your kingdom lifestyle. It will be demonstrated as you prioritize your life to reach into the sphere of society to which you are called to extend the principles and values of the kingdom. When you are succeeding in your kingdom mission, you will become consumed with the passion, the heartbeat of God, to extend His glory in your promised land. That passion will empower you to change your environment, impact lives, and reap the harvest of souls God has destined for you. Redeeming the Political Sphere Alexander, a former drug addict, came to Christ and began to seek God for His promised land. He began to discover his giftings in pastoring and eventually launched a successful church. As he continued his journey into God, he began to have a vision for transforming the political arena. He pursued that sphere of influence, 
launching a government-funded training program for social and government workers. He has now trained and planted over 200 people in various government institutions, equipping them with kingdom principles for the purpose of influencing political decisions in the government. Their goal is to use the political positions as a platform to introduce legislation based on the principles of the kingdom of God. They are redeeming the influential sphere of government, restoring it to reflect the government of God. For many Christians, their vocation or place of employment still seems irrelevant to their Christian experience. They categorize their lives into separate pursuits, including work, church, family, and recreation. This faulty mindset reveals a great deception regarding the destiny of every believer. I have said that the purpose of employment is not to make money just to make a living or become wealthy. Your vocation should involve you in the destiny God has ordained for you, which is to become the carrier of His kingdom principles. Your lifestyle should reflect your passion to extend the glory of God on the earth. The True Measure of Success Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Matthew 25, 34 When Jesus taught about the Son of Man coming in his glory with the holy angels with him, he said that he would sit on the throne of his glory, and the nations would be gathered to him there. Then he will separate them as a shepherd divides his sheep from his goats. Matthew 25, 31-33 The amazing criteria by which Christ will judge us is whether or not we fed the hungry, gave water to the thirsty, showed hospitality to strangers, clothed the naked, and visited the sick and those in prison. Too often the church has thought that serving humanity as Jesus described is beneath their spiritual pursuits. Many Christian leaders have considered helping the poor, for example, nothing more than a powerless social gospel. They would rather engage in church programs, helping to create a musical worship experience for the congregation, or other admittedly worthwhile tasks centered on church members. This self-serving mentality of the church has turned many young people off and made unbelievers feel that Christians are part of just another social club that focuses on taking care of their own. To be successful according to the criteria Christ uses to judge nations, The church must leave the four walls behind and go out. The Apostle Paul declared, Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. It is clear from Paul's statements that God is intent on gathering together in one all things, both in heaven and on earth, into Christ. He deals not just with individuals, but also with nations. He is a redeemer of the whole world. As co-laborers with him, we must lift our eyes to the harvest of souls that he sees and be empowered to reap it with him. When God created the earth, he intended that everything that has breath would praise Him and enjoy relationship with their Creator. The psalmist declared, Let heaven and earth praise Him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah, that they may dwell there and possess it. 
Also the descendants of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. Psalm 69, 34-36 This prophetic psalm shows again that God did not separate humanity from the environment in which they were created. All the earth is to bring praise to God, and he will save Zion, the church, and every generation who loves his name will dwell there. What a wonderful promise for those who walk with God to extend his kingdom throughout the earth. That is how the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk 2.14 All things should glorify God. To that end, the church must be involved in all the seven spheres of life, extending the virtues and principles and lifestyle of the kingdom of God. The church that will be effective in restoring the kingdom to this generation will need to consider these truths about each sphere of life. 1. The church must know that it's fine to be involved with social life and bring life to the community. 2. Church and business are compatible. This is the only way the riches of the wicked can come into the hands of the righteous. 3. The education system is to be integrated with the Word of God because through knowledge, wisdom, and understanding is the power to bring light to darkness. 4. God and government can work together because God himself made government. 5. Culture and holiness must be made compatible in the environment of the kingdom. 6. Media must not be allowed to carry only bad news. The gospel, good news, must be represented through the media. 7. Godliness should characterize sports and promote the positive worth of exercise and fitness. Finding your personal promised land where you can thrive and be fulfilled is the ultimate destiny of every Christian. Your destiny will be fulfilled as you extend kingdom principles and lifestyle on the earth. And the church's main task is to help believers do just that. In that sense, the church acts as a clearinghouse for believers to give direction, guidance, and skills to help its members mature in the calling that Christ has given to each of them. A House of Prayer for All Nations Jesus expressed outrage in the temple the day he overturned the money changers' tables and accused them of making his father's house a den of thieves. How outraged would he be today if he were to enter some of our churches? According to Jesus, his house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. Matthew 21.13 How different would our churches be if our priority were to seek God earnestly to show us how to extend his kingdom in our lives, in our community, our nation, and in the nations of the world? As I write these pages, I am consumed with the passion of the heart of God. I am concerned with what concerns him. What is that? For the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk 2.14 There shall be no end to the government of God being established on the earth. My passion is that the part of the earth where he has placed me, the nation where he raised me up, can be restored completely to him as people are redeemed in every sphere of life. God gave me the privilege to have a church and to pastor his people, to direct them, help them know their purpose, and maximize each of the potentials of the kingdom that are in them to reclaim the earth. I am diligently teaching them that their priority in life is redeeming the land back to God, who is its rightful owner. So it is not a big deal that I am pastoring 25,000 people. How can I count that success when there are 4 million souls in my city 
that are not all saved. That is a harvest field I cannot reap alone. The passion of God is to restore and reclaim the whole earth. He died for that. So, I must maximize the potential of every member to help him or her realize that they have the kingdom within them and that they are the agents of that kingdom. Their purpose is to become spiritual leaven to permeate the whole world, to be salt to preserve the truth and righteousness of the kingdom, and to shine as light in the darkness of every human sphere of life. When we pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, it means that we are willing to become the answer to God's heart cry. We surrender to allow His divine love to flow through us to conquer every enemy that resists His kingdom reality. And Christ's great commission becomes ours. According to the Joshua Project statistics, there are 16,304 people groups recognized globally. Of those, 6,652 are considered to still be unreached people groups, or 40.8% of all people of the world. With the current world population of 7.3 billion, that means there are 2.72 billion people in the world today who have not heard the gospel message. How small is our personal world? Are we seeking our own pleasure? Or are we willing to be an instrument of redemption, restoring the kingdom of God to the earth? The Reign of Love Can you imagine everyone in your church identifying his or her own territory to redeem it for the kingdom, making it look like and function according to the principles of the kingdom of God? What would happen in your community if every member of your church dedicates his or herself to extending the reign of God's love, his integrity and righteousness, in their sphere of influence. No one can fulfill that calling alone. That is why the body of Christ on the earth, the church, is such a wonderful reality. With Christ as the head dwelling within each believer and empowering us, we can realize the hope of glory. That hope is fulfilled when the kingdom of God extends to all the earth. I identified the love of God as a foundational principle of the kingdom earlier in this book. See chapter 4. Because love is the nature and essence of who God is, we can also refer to love as the climate of the kingdom. Love must become the air we breathe and the essence of our being. The scripture is clear that we have a capacity for love because of God's love for us. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 5-8 Our love is in response to the love Christ displayed for us when we were still sinners. The Apostle John states this fact bluntly. We love him because he first loved us. 1 John 4.19 When Jesus gave us a new commandment to love one another, he knew that it was his love for us that gave us a capacity to love others. And he was teaching the truth of the two dimensions of love, love for God and love for your neighbor. When one of the scribes asked Jesus which is the first commandment of all, Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Mark 12, 29-31 Jesus knew that all the commandments of the law of Moses rested on these two, loving God and loving your neighbor. They are the two dimensions of love that cannot exist without the other. For example, if you are filled with the love of God, you will not murder, steal, or lie. And if you love your brother, you will not covet what is his. When you realize that God loves you as the undeserving sinner you are, and you experience the peace and joy his love brings to your heart, you cannot help loving others. In fact, the Apostle John wrote that you do not love God if you do not love your brother. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. 1 John four twenty and 21. Loving God is an act. It is a display of the heart, a play scenario written in the spirit of man. Love can only be generated from the depths of the human heart. The Apostle Paul explained this when he wrote, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. 2 Corinthians 5, 14-16 We can't pretend to love. Love is a compelling force that will manifest itself in loving attitudes and acts. When I receive the love of God and allow it to be poured into my life, I can say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20 When the love of God becomes our life, the scriptures declare that nothing can separate us from that love. Not tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or peril or sword. Romans 5.35 I lose my egocentric motivation when I choose to allow Christ to live in me. I don't need to live anymore because I don't have life except for His, which He gave for me for a ransom. God is not looking at my abilities, talents, or self-worth to qualify me to be his disciple. He only looks at my heart to see if I am surrendering to his love. When the love of God reigns in our hearts, our lives will reflect his glory and power. Just as God expressed his great love by giving his Son to die for our redemption, so we will express our love for God by giving to others. When we love people, we will serve them as Christ did. He taught us, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. John 15, 13. Loving God and loving people sets us free from the it's all about me syndrome. And we find true fulfillment and satisfaction when we are motivated by God's love and to extend his kingdom on the earth. Discovering your personal promised land may not be an easy task. It will require seeking God earnestly until your heart is consumed with a passion to know Him. 
but the journey into God's heart will lead you into such depths of love as you have never dreamed possible. Then, all of life becomes an expression of that love, not a duty to fulfill. Motivated by divine love, there is nothing that is impossible for you. You begin to see the world in brilliant technicolor. Your personal promised land becomes your platform to share the love of God with others. I pray for you, dear reader, that you will discover the absolute wonder of God's love for you and his calling and destiny that he has prepared for you. If that is your desire, I encourage you to pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for displaying your great love for me at Calvary. I don't want to live any longer with my egocentric motivation. I want to be filled with your love, to love you and to love my neighbor. Let my heart be filled with that passionate love that compelled you to give your life for me. Help me to discover my promised land and to be empowered to extend your kingdom into that place of influence. Show me what I need to leave behind to move forward in your will for my life. I choose to seek you until I hear your heartbeat and am filled with your love and passion for the harvest. I want to display your love to lost souls and reflect your glory throughout the earth. In your name I pray, amen. Kingdom Principles from Chapter 8 Number 1. Every generation must reclaim their generation for God. Number 2. In this current generation, the church is not prospering in its mandate to extend kingdom principles throughout the culture. Number three, for a large majority of youth raised in church, the church has become irrelevant to their goals and pursuits in life. Number four, the amazing criteria by which Christ will judge nations is whether or not they fed the hungry, gave water to the thirsty, showed hospitality to strangers, clothed the naked, and visited the sick and those in prison. Number five, to be successful according to the criteria Christ uses to judge nations, the church must leave the four walls behind, which it cloisters its saints. Number six, when God created the earth, he intended that everything that has breath would praise him and enjoy relationship with the creator. Number seven, the church must integrate into the environment and be involved in all the seven spheres of life, extending the virtues and principles and lifestyle of the kingdom of God. Number eight, your destiny will be fulfilled as you extend kingdom principles and lifestyle on the earth. Number nine, Jesus knew that all the commandments of the law of Moses rested on these two, loving God and loving your neighbor. They are the two dimensions of love that cannot exist without the other. And number 10. Just as God expressed his great love by giving his son to die for our redemption, so we will express our love for God by giving it to others.